your son for us, perfect lamb, perfect sacrifice, and that because of that, we can stand here in this place and, and sing your praises in these songs, knowing that we have a hope that we can be one day fully reunited with you. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, welcome to live Q&A Sunday. A couple of things real quick to let you know about before we get started. Again, we do this every July 4th weekend instead of a normal sermon. So uh, here's the number to text in, 919-800-0525. We typically don't get to all the questions, so the sooner you text again, the better. 919-800-0525. It'll also be on the screen for each question we do. A couple of things. Uh, again, my name is Dylan, the pastor here at New City Church. Uh, this is my wife, Christina. Hi. Say hi. <laughs> and then this is Dave. Dave is one of the elders here at New City Church. And just because they're up here, I do want to let you know uh, that New City Church is about four, just over four years old, and we would not exist for, for not for a lot of people, but certainly without Christina and Dave. So thank you guys for making this possible. Uh, a couple of things as we get into it. Number one, we have no idea what these questions are. We've never seen them before. So um, we might say we don't know. We might there might be a question that takes more study. That that's just you know we feel like. We'll give the best answer, but we, we don't want to tell you something we're not sure, and so that might happen. Also, we've done this a couple years now, so some of these questions are biblically based. Some of these questions we typically get are kind of like our opinion on things, so hopefully our opinion is a biblically informed opinion, but as followers of Christ, there are we can disagree on some things, and so it's certainly okay if you hear something today and you're like, oh, I don't know if I would take that route, or I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, we unite under Jesus, and so it's okay if we're not 100% in alignment. And finally, if something is said that you're like really makes you upset, Dave would love to talk to you after service, <laughs> take you out to lunch, and make you feel better. <clears throat> so that being said, again, that's the number on your screen. Here we go. First question. <clears throat> Start with an easy one. Which is best, Duke, Carolina, or NC State? Obviously, the answer is Duke. Next question. Yes, obviously. Dave, do you, have a, do you even have an opinion on this? I think if you're godly, <clears throat> you know the answer to this question. And nothing else needs to be said. Okay, so Duke. There we go. <clears throat> Although, sorry, NC State, to your baseball team. That was really unfair, and I, like, that was awful. They should be champions right now, probably, because you can't win anything else. So, all right, <clears throat> here we go. 
<laughs> first real question. I'm just kidding. Oh. All right, here we go. First real question. Um, how do you effectively share the gospel in a culture that views it in such a negative light? All right, um, so how we'll do this is typically we'll just have two of us answer because we want to, I don't know if you've been to these like Q&A sessions where you only get to four questions because people take like five hours to answer them. So we're going to try to do these quick to get through as many as possible. I'll go first and then whoever wants to jump in. I'll say this, um, one of the most effective ways to do it is if you were with us, we just finished the book of 1 Thessalonians and I think that's really a, one of the themes in 1 Thessalonians is Paul talking about how, how you and I live if you're a follower of Jesus really matters and he says, examine my life. And as much as we want to know the right things to say, I think living a Jesus-honoring life speaks a lot, but you actually have to live it. And so the biblical view of sex, I mean, if you live that out, even if you don't say anything, I mean, that's weird. Like, what do you mean you're not sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Um, actually forgiving people, like, it sounds great, but the coworker who, like, cheated and got the promotion, and like, are you actually willing to forgive them and give them grace? I mean, I think actually not participating in gossip in your workplace with your classmates. I mean, I think if we actually, not perfectly, but if you actually live it out, it, it's different. Not just say it, but do it. Um, so that's, there's a lot more I could say, but I think one of you, what would you guys say about that? Sure, I would say uh, one of the most effective ways that I have found to share the gospel is by asking good questions. And I have actually not found it to be uh, reflected in, in such a negative light. When it's someone you care about and you have an actual relationship when you just ask questions, I have always found that they really appreciate um, just asking simple questions about, well, well, what do you believe about God? Do you think there could be a God? What do you think happens after you die? Um, and then oftentimes they'll ask you that same question. Um, and if they don't, you can say, well, this is kind of what I believe. And in my experience, when I've shared the gospel with people um, and just shared why I'm, I'm sharing it, it's because I want to see them in heaven and because I care about them and love them. Um, and that hasn't been received negatively by me. Yeah, I think, too, with that, I think it's, it really isn't, as neg people don't take it as negative as we think. We really build, build it up in our heads often. I mean, if you're a keyboard warrior online, that doesn't go well. But like people you actually know, it's not weird to talk about, I mean, talk about everything else. So I found that it's not as awkward as we think it's going to be. And uh, so, next question. <clears throat> what does the Bible say about couples that are living together but claiming they aren't sexually active? <clears throat> go ahead, Dave. <laughs> That's what you get for not answering the first one. <laughs> Can we go back to NC State? I've got an opinion now. Um, so bottom line in this one is, is not, I'm tempted to say you're a liar and the truth isn't in you, but I'm not going to say that. What I would say is this, you, you are placing yourself in a situation where you will be tempted quite a bit. Um, and I think that's both foolish and, uh, against scripture. First Corinthians six talks about flee, uh, immorality or that's first Timothy two. I'm, I'm now I'm, <laughs> Somewhere, it says flee immorality. Um, and I don't think you should place yourself in a place where you are tempted to sin easily, obviously, and repeatedly. That's just not wise. So I wouldn't recommend it, but I don't think there's a verse that says, don't ever live in the same house with a woman or a man you are not married to. Yeah. Yeah, if you're like, I don't understand this, the context of this question. So as followers of Jesus, we believe that God created sex as a good thing. It's not a taboo or weird thing. It's something that is a good thing for human flourishing. But that best takes place in the context of a covenant, committed relationship between a husband and a wife and a marriage. And so, of course, we would encourage people to abstain. Now, we've had experience with this, too. Um, I, I would say 
if you're dating somebody, sexual attraction is a great thing. Like, it's not bad. And so trying to, if you're trying to honor God's design for it, um, first of all, I think marriage, like our culture today, we can. I mean, it depends on the tradition you grew up in. It's like you have to have two full-time jobs, debt paid off, have a house right before you can get married. Like, biblically, that's not a thing. <laughs> and that's, that's not bad that, to have those things to strive for, but that's not like, should we get married? It's not being able to answer all those questions. Um, but we've seen couples try to do this, and it even caused problems in their marriage because they're, like, trying to stay pure, start, and, but then they get married, but then they're used to, like, try, like feeling guilty. And so, uh, I mean, just like an alcoholic who avoids alcohol, we would try to say just put boundaries to avoid those situations because it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But, uh, you know, commit yourself to that person if you want to do those things. So, all right, next one. All right, Christine, you didn't answer. Here we go. Would Jesus be a Republican or Democrat <laughs> in today's climate? Oh, my. Um, yeah, I, I think this is incredibly difficult to answer. I think, you know, I think Jesus' allegiance would be to God the Father. I think that is really clear when we look at the New Testament. It's like his allegiance was not to, like, Caesar or a particular government or even a particular, like, religious sect. Um, he had bad things and good things to say about all of that, um, about people no matter like kind of where you were claiming to land. Um, it, it was a matter of like, are you following God? Um, and so I don't necessarily think he, I don't think he would be a Republican or a Democrat. I, I think he would call out things about Republicans and things about Democrats. Um, and I think he would also commend things about Republicans and things about Democrats, my opinion. You're a wise man, Dave. <laughs> that you are. You're an elder, not at just New City, but also just in gray-hairedness. So, <laughs> I'm trying to lighten the mood up Thank here. Thank you. you know? yeah. <laughs> My, I mean, this is pure speculation. Here's what I would say. I would think both Republicans and Democrats would dislike Jesus quite a bit in today's culture and yeah. climate. Because I think he would say things that would undermine their authority, that would undermine their perception of how they gain power, that would undermine people's allegiance to them first, and I think uh, those who are aligned with a party more than anything else would find him very offensive on many fronts. Yeah. I think, I think all of us would find things that Jesus says offensive. Now, to be clear, nothing wrong with being a Republican and Democrat. Nothing wrong with having convictions. Certainly nothing wrong with voting. I've voted in every election and every two-year cycle since I was able to. I've voted in a lot more elections than yeah, you, Dylan. There you go. You're a little bit older than me. Um, so I, there's nothing wrong with that. I would say, though, like... Like if, let's say you're a Republican or a Democrat, and there's not a single thing that the other person says that, you just, that says that you like, you would be offended by Jesus. Because I would be offended by Jesus. Like he would, it's easy for us to read first century, not our culture, not our context, you get him, Jesus. But if we were in that culture and context, we would feel a certain way about it. And we would also feel a certain way if he were here today. Now, hopefully, you know, we would still want to follow him. Um, but I think he, he would definitely challenge, challenge our idols. So I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> We plead the fifth. Next question. Is keeping the Sabbath still applicable today? You know, this is interesting. So you have the Ten Commandments, which we're like, yes, these are good things we should all follow. One of them is, you know, honor the Sabbath. And it's like the one of the ten that Christians today are like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> do we have to do that? Um, it's, but, you know, but to be fair, you know, Jesus comes, Paul comes. They say some controversial things about the Sabbath and all that sort of thing. My, um, my, uh, my stance on it is that it is a good and a wise thing to do. Again, we live in a difficult culture where work schedules are all over the place. You might not necessarily have the same day off, the weekends off, all that sort of thing. I think it is 
biblically wise to have a one 24-hour period a week where you are not working. Now, of course, biblically speaking, Sabbath also includes worship. So if it's not on Sunday, I would encourage, you know, hope, you know, still come on a Sunday and on your day off, whatever. Um, but have a time where you are resting, you are not working, you're not checking email. I think that would be wise. And I think it's just not, it's not just honoring to God, it's honoring and healthy for you to do. Um, but I think it would be wise for us not to just accept that our culture is 24-7, and so that's just who we are. I, going back to the last question, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus would challenge us in this area to say, hey, you, you want to love me, you want to follow me, and yet you don't take time to, in your life, again, talking about like sharing the gospel, like do you actually take a day to say, it's not up to me, and I'm going to rest in you? I think that would be a countercultural thing. And so I think, generally speaking, it should be observed better than we currently do it, just broad strokes, modern, you know, Western Protestant tradition than we typically do. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a a good and wise and healthy thing to do. And speaking from personal experience, um, when I don't Sabbath, it is in sin that I'm doing that. It's me making an idol, like, of myself and thinking that, like, this can't make it without Christina, which is in ignorance, it's in flesh, um, it's arrogance, it's prideful to think, oh, this thing at my work isn't going to get accomplished if I don't do it today, or all is going to fail if I don't do this, or my household is going to fail if I don't do this. Um, And so it is very freeing. It's hard. It takes self-control to Sabbath. And I would say another thing on a practical note about Sabbath, it takes planning to Sabbath. You can't just wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm not going to do anything today. A wise thing to do would be prepare on Saturday to Sabbath on Sunday, which means do the laundry on on Saturday so that you don't have to do it on Sunday and really prepare for it, block out a schedule, and make it a non-negotiable. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I think you're, like, if you don't do it, are you sinning? Maybe. That's what we say. I think it depends on your heart and your conviction. And, like, and listen, there are seasons where you know, that can be harder. I get that. But as we all know, you know, one month turns into three months, turns into a year, because we've just always been like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to go, go, go. So I think it would be wise for us to take back and ask God, like, do I honor you in this way? And what would it look like to do that? <clears throat> who answered? Who didn't answer? Last one. I don't know. We all did. So, Christina, what leadership roles can women have at New City? Yeah, currently the leadership roles that women can have at New City is all ex- all except being a pastor or an elder. And so um, just from a biblical standpoint, that's where we currently land. And we talk about that a little bit more in detail in our partnership class. If you haven't been to our partnership class, I highly recommend checking that out. Um, but we, ve- we really do value women and their role here at New City. It's not just important, it's essential. Um, in order, It's essential for women to lead at New City, to be on stage, um, to take part in important conversations. Um, the mission of the gospel and what we're trying to do here in our city cannot happen without women and men. Um, And so we believe that really strongly, um, but there are just some certain scriptures um, that hold hold us back in this one way, particular, not hold us back, but limit us in this one way. So that's where we we land currently. Uh, Yeah, I I have no problem. I mean, because it's true. Faithful Christians disagree on this, and we've got some friends you know, where the husband and the wife are both pastor of the church, and I've got no problem telling people to go there. Like I, you know, so there's certain passages of scripture, we won't get them all in here now, uh, about eldership and, and leadership and things that happening in the first century. And so there can be debate. Faithful Christians can de- debate that there are certain things in the first century context, that's why you don't see more women pastors and preachers and elders, because it just wasn't a thing that was possible. But today, you know, women are in leadership roles all over the place, so why can't we do, so I, I hear all that, 
And I, I'm not upset about that. Um, it's just our conviction, uh, as, as, as I understand it uh, currently, is that women can and should do a lot of things. Um, the pastor, the elder role, it seems to be re- reserved for men. I, this might be unconvincing to you, but I'd like, I have, I have a lot of convictions, but I'm not going to, when you see videos online and all these sort of things of like, I can't believe this person and this woman, and then like, like, let's talk about Jesus. Let's be clear about what we believe, and let's go after it. And so um, I have no problem saying, like, if this is something for somebody that's like, it's a deal breaker for you. Like, you want to be a part of a church that has a woman pastor. I, I would say, hey, I would love to point you to some churches in the area that do that. You know, I, I don't do that, but I'm not going to, I think Jesus is important. Um, and so all that to say, a lot of times it's like, what can't they do? Well, most people, again, at New City Church, aren't pastors and elders. Most men, there's four men at New City that's an elder at New City. So like, it's not like everyone's lining up to do these things. And so I would rather say like, what what can we do? Like, what do you want to do? Uh, we want to give women opportunities just like we want to give men opportunities. And we don't see why one, you know, why a one gender shouldn't be able to lead in certain ways the way other men do. Men do. So um, yeah, we would encourage that. And if you're a woman and you want to take steps of leadership, like come talk to me. We'd love to find find places for that. Yeah, and I would love to add to that. I think, like, I'll, we'll be honest, like, we're confused by this. Um, this is, it's confusing in scripture why it says this. Um, we've all of us have wrestled with this personally. Um, I've wrestled with it. I've read different books on it. One really good book on it that was helpful to me is two different uh, biblical views on women in uh, ministry. And so it shared both aspects, like it shared both views and from like a very like sound theological, like biblical approach, which was helpful to me. Um, and I read it and I'm still confused. And so, <laughs> So, um, but I think one thing that we, we believe really strongly here at New City and what we want to do is like, in our opinion, like we would love for women to do anything at New City, including being a pastor. Like I would personally enjoy that and like that and like to see that, that, that freedom come into fruition. Um, but as a, as a faithful Christian, I want to obey God more than my preference. And so even though I have a preference, I want to obey God more, and I want to trust God and his, his scripture and his word, and understanding that I'm not going to understand everything that God asks us to do because I am not God, um, but I have seen in my life that God is faithful enough for me to trust him, even when I disagree with him because I don't know. But here, two things that always help me when, when, I, when I do read the Bible, I'm like, I disagree with that, or that's not my preference, is one, I am not more compassionate than the Lord. I think a lot of us think that um, in our sin and in, in our pridefulness, I've thought that before is like, why can't you just love people like I love people? Listen, you do not love, pe- more, <laughs> love people more than God loves people. You are not more compassionate than God. Um, and so that being true helps me to obey. And then he has just proven faithful and wise in other aspects of my life. And so me, again, reading scripture every day and trying to follow him, like, like things have gone, not necessarily gone easier for me, but gone better for me because it has been wisdom. And so because I, I, can tr- I have trusted him in the past and it's turned out okay, um, I'm going to continue to trust him with this too. And so if we were ever to change our views on this, it would have to be because our biblical understanding of it changed, not because we felt like it. Do you want me to say sure. something? Go ahead. <clears throat> um, all I would say is this. Our theology, our practice, who we are, what we try to do, all flows from the scripture and our understanding of it. Could we be flawed? Absolutely. If I knew where my theology was wrong, I would change it today. I don't know where my theology is wrong. I'm sure it's wrong in many places. But until I know that, until I understand it, we're, we, we go from the scriptures, what we think the scriptures are teaching, and that's where the conversation begins and ends for us. It really doesn't begin and end any other place. 
Whether we would prefer something, for me, and I think for our leadership, is, is irrelevant. It's more about what do we think the Lord is saying from the word, which is our authority, which is what we are under, which is what we follow. Yeah. And lastly, to be clear, we're talking about eldership and pastorship. There are a lot of great uh, women Bible teachers and leaders Great social media follows, people we could recommend, things that I've definitely benefited from. Some of the commentaries I use for my sermons are written by women. And so this is, it is not a matter of intelligence or gifting that, that we have, that women are not pastors here at New City Church, nor is that biblically. Um, and so, you know, if that's something that should be encouraged and cultivated in women too, if they want to learn and grow. So next question, how do you hear the voice of God? Well, Dave, you're older than I am, so how have you heard the voice of God? <laughs> Throughout your life, um, there there are a number of ways to hear the voice of God. One one theological principle is if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you can count on the Holy Spirit to speak to you in your heart, in your mind, in your soul as you press through in life. You can count on the Lord's leading, and you should count on the Lord's leading. But the primary way God speaks to us is through the Word, through the Scripture. So uh, when I was a pastor, there have been times when people have said, well, you know, the Lord has released me from that. You know, maybe one of the Ten Commandments. And it's like, yeah, um, I, I understand that you think that is true. But what we know for sure is what the Lord has given us in his word. And the word is our authority. And when you contradict it, you are not hearing the voice of the Lord. You are hearing something else. Could be your flesh. Could be the evil one. Could be a lot of other things. Could be the voice you heard that was predominant in your childhood somewhere that is still stuck with you. There's, there's all kinds of voices you could be hearing. So one of the ways you discern the voice of the Lord is first scripture. What does the Bible say? When the Bible says something clearly, the, the Lord isn't going to lead you differently. Second, get biblical counsel. Talk to people who are wise and who know the word and whose life you would want to emulate. Every now and then I hear people going, well, I got this great advice from so-and-so. And it's like, okay, well, that contradicts scripture. And they're like, I know, but it really sounded true. <laughs> and I think, if you want that person's life, by all means, follow that advice. If you want a different life, follow advice of people that, you know, have a life. Some of you have parents that live very godly lives, and you should be paying very close attention to their wisdom. They've got some things to teach you. Others, you may not have had great examples but find people who are wise, who have lives that you want to emulate, who walk with the Lord, who you know hear the Holy Spirit, and talk to them and get some godly counsel. And then thirdly, just pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, I think, I think spiritual practices are really helpful. Uh, again, not to like pray and go to church or be able to check off a list, but like because it gives you a time to commune with God. I also, I'm just, I'm so big on community. Uh, of having people around you that love God and love you and God using people. I mean, we're, we are meant for community. It's kind of funny to me. Uh, all I can think of is, you know, as a kid, you know, you read stories, ancient cultures, whatever, of like, you know, the arranged marriage, you know, and, and, and I used to be like, oh, that's so weird. I'm so glad we don't do that today. Now, I'm not that old. I don't have gray hair yet. Now, I don't have hair where I, I wish it was gray. I wish there was hair here that was gray. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going gray. I'm just losing it. Um, so I'm 31. So not, but I'm like, oh, I think that's, this is not a bad idea. <laughs> and I, the reason why I'm like, maybe having parents, people like, um, I used to think it was just all, and I, I, and I can imagine this, it was just all, you know, you have two parents and they're trying to get their kids together for inheritance and property stuff. But I'm also like, as a parent myself, like you do love your kids. And, and I've just seen, you know, Chris, Christine and I have counseled, 
done marriage, pre-marriage, people that are dating. So many times, and we haven't done this very often, we were like, we don't think this is going to work. And, it, and very often it didn't. And many times in that, when that happened is because there was a, a couple that like, wasn't really being honest with their friends about what was going on or didn't really ask their friends what they thought because it's just like, well, we're in love. And so um, what does it have to do with this? I think having counsel. So all that to say, so I just want to read a passage that we're really familiar with. And I, in Romans chapter 11, it's all about how Israel had sometimes been faithful but often not been faithful to God. And so Paul is saying that, that, that the, Jew, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, need, need Jesus, but so do the Israelites, and they need Jesus. So he talks about that, then he says this in Romans 12, 1 through 2, it's maybe familiar to you. He says, therefore, so because all of us need Christ, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, this sounds very individualistic, right? Be a living sacrifice. Honor God. Follow God. What's interesting is right after this passage, after these two verses, is one of the couple of times where Paul in the New Testament talks about how we are many members of one body. And so in Paul's mind, the way that you present yourself continually as a living sacrifice is in community with others. It's not just, I'm going to follow God today by my own will. That you have people who are encouraging you, who are forgiving you, and who are, you know, loving you as you love them. Like, it's it's community. It's communal. And so if you're like, how do I hear the voice of God? And you're thinking very individualistic terms, just me, myself, meditating on a beach somewhere. Like, I would include the people that God has placed in your life. And I think that that'll help all of us make a lot more wise decisions. So next question. <clears throat> Can you lose your salvation? Go ahead, Dave. <clears throat> no. Can you expand on that? <laughs> um, some of this some of this question comes from there are some passages in scripture that are difficult to interpret uh, I won't go into all of them for the sake of time there are some places that if you just looked in isolation you could say yeah okay so I just that person lost their salvation the question is then so what does this mean in context of all of scripture are there other places that are very clear that you cannot lose your salvation. And I think they are numerous and many. And also just the way the Bible talks about salvation, it is not something that you can grasp for yourself. It is something that is gifted, it's something that's given. It comes by faith through the grace of God. And we think lots of times that it's all about us, but in reality, it's all about God redeeming for himself a people that he loves. So like one of the passages that um, really gets me going on this is John 10 where Jesus talks about my sheep know my voice and they hear me and they understand. And then he says, the Lord has given them to me and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Meaning that when you become a child of God, when you become one of his, you're adopted into his family. That's Romans eight. You become a, a child of God. One of the references is sheep. And he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. So my question to you is who's in the no one category? Who can snatch you out of God's hand if you are truly saved? If you are rescued from sin, all of your sin is forgiven. Who can take you from God? No one, not even you, not even you. Also, Romans 8 talks about what can separate us from the love of God, and he gives a long list of neither demons or principalities or powers or things below the earth or things above or anything else that's created can separate us from the love of God. And once we have been connected with God, adopted as a son or as a child of God, we are his. We belong to him. You cannot lose that. You're part of the family. If you know anybody who has an adopted child, they are part of the family, and you don't lose your adoption as a child 
by sin, by any other kind of mess up. And I think there's a reason God uses that adoption is you had no right to be there, but once you're in, you have a right. You are a child of God. You are in the kingdom. The kingdom is yours because of who the king is, and he has chosen you and accepted you and brought you into. So that's a lot of words. Sorry. Yeah, this is a hard question. You know, sometimes people ask it because they, like, did something bad, and they're like, well, if I sinned, then has God rejected me? Of course, if you're even asking that question, the course the answer to that is no. <laughs> like, you obviously care. Um, it's really hard because I, I like to think of it this way, that God will never turn his back on you. So the encouragement that we see throughout Scripture in the New Testament is to persevere. So don't turn your back on him. And when you do have lapses in judgment or where you fall short, like, rep- repent because there is always, God always gives grace to those who ask for it. The challenge is, like, you know, it's been popular lately, social media, whatever, you hear these deconversion stories. And some of these people aren't just people that grew up in the church. They're, like, lead, led, like, large churches and went to seminary. And, and so when I read that, I would be honest with you. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, they weren't saved for those 20 years they were leading a church. Like, to say they weren't saved the whole time is hard for me. Um, and so I don't, I don't know the best way to answer that. I mean, you could say, one, you, some people will say, well, they were just never saved. And I'm like, maybe. Maybe they weren't. I, but... I feel like it's really hard, but my encouragement is that God will never reject you. We can, no one, like David was saying, no one can pluck you out of his hand. And so, uh, he, and also, at the end of the day, salvation isn't something you earned. It was given to you, so you can't unearn it. Um, and so, I, it's, it's a tension that the Scripture has. I would say just follow Jesus and persevere in hard times, and he will not reject you. He won't reject you. So, if you're even asking this question, it, it probably means you're okay. You know, and that God loves you. And that it definitely means you're okay, not probably. So, yeah. <laughs> full in salvation. Can we say one more thing on deconversion stories? Yeah, one, people want to quickly go to they were never a believer. Yep. The other side could be true. They could now be saying things that are contrary to God, and they're still rescued in their sin. Mm-hmm. That can also be true. Yeah. And we don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone else's heart. I barely have the ability to discern my own heart. And most of the time when I discern it, it's not good. But we don't know their heart. We don't know where they are. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know what the end of that story is. And until we do, we really can't pass any kind of judgment on that. So I would just say you hold everyone else's story at arm's length. Hold your story very close because you're the one that can experience the Lord yourself. Yep. Next question. How would you explain that the Christian God is the true God to someone of another faith? Yeah, I think I would talk about myself. Um, no, uh, but really, uh, because w- w- the the key difference to me in our God and other gods is that for all the other religions, you have to do a lot of things to get to their realm of heaven. And I think the you know the unique thing about Christianity is that Jesus did it for us, right? He did it in our place, and he died on the cross for our sins uh, because we could never attain it. We could never attain um, holiness, and we could never make things right. Um, and so I think I would talk about that. I would talk about like, well, like my own sin and my how how when I I know good and I want to do good and I still do bad. Like I'm still a sinner. Like I know these things and I still sin every day. I think I would talk about my wrestling with that and say, you know, this is why this makes so much sense to me is because I can't attain it. Like, what do you think about that? I think that's the angle I would go with. Yeah, I mean, this is hard, um, especially because we, we couch this in such, like, rational, logical terms. Like, what do I say when we're not rational, logical at all? Like, we're just not. Studies say we're highly emotional, and then we just use our reasoning to justify whatever we're feeling in the moment. Um, I have, I don't know. The, <laughs> I don't know if I would say increasingly convinced, but maybe it is 
Like, at the end of the day, if you could have love or truth, like, what's more important? Tell people the truth or loving people? And you can't, you have to pick one. Let's say you have to pick one. This is someone who loves the scripture, loves doctrine, uh, for what it's, just to defend what I'm about to say, like, New City is part of Acts 29. You have no idea who that is. If you, you might not, it's a church playing network, and they're pretty theological, like, to join the network. You know, I help with the assessments there. Like, you've got to be able to know what you believe and articulate it. Um, if I had to pick, I would pick love. And I would say that because 1 Corinthians 13, even if you don't know what that passage is, it's read at all the weddings, right? Paul says, I, I could be a clinging gong or a banging cymbal without love. Um, what draws us into Jesus is not just that he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. It's that he lived it and he gave his life for us. Again, we just finished 1 Thessalonians where Paul said that the power of the gospel is made real because of how him and his followers lived and then how the Thessalonians lived. Like people were coming to Jesus because of how they lived. Uh, and so I think if we're going to trust God and actually live counterculturally, um, that is a very, I, that is the most convincing thing you can do. Tell people that you believe in Jesus and then live it out. Again, I'm all for the intellectual things. I think there's certain things philosophically. In my opinion, um, either Christianity is true or there is no religion because they're, they're, they are empirically not the same. They are not all the same size of the same mountain. They're, they're going completely different ways. Again, Christianity is unique because one of the things that makes it unique that you could bunch all other world religions together is that all the other world religions, it's somehow dependent on you. Christianity, it's not dependent on you at all. So I think philosophically, the fact that only in Christianity do you have people who go to heaven or the nirvana or the good place or enlightenment, whatever these religions teach, only in Christianity do you have the people who like make it, which is a terrible, I, that's not the best way to put it, but for this, for this example, who make it, who you have a God who actually deals with the sins of their people, like Islam and all these other things, they, you have a God who says, okay, you can come in but then he doesn't do anything with their sins. Like if he's perfect and just, he has to do with something with them. In Christianity, you don't have a God that's just like, no problem. Like Jesus took them. They actually were paid for. Um, so I'm all for the rational discussions, but how you live, like letting people know, tell them that you're a follower of Jesus, like so that they actually know and then live it out. And as we were saying earlier, that early conversation, people are not afraid, like, they, they, they're not going to get mad at you if you talk to them about these things. And so... I would love them well and be Jesus to them and then explain why when you have those opportunities. I would just add in the New Testament, the resurrection is central to the gospel and central yeah. to uh, our faith. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's either happened or it didn't. So it's not just stories. And if it did, it changes everything. So next question. Why do you personally believe the gospel? Dave, you want to go first? I would like to say many things about how I discerned and studied and came to this great conclusion, and I came to faith. It wasn't like that at all. I spent a lot of years in a Christian family not believing the gospel, thinking that I was smarter and wiser than God as a 14, 15-year-old. Um, that was supposed to be funny, y'all. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I very clearly remember on the night... Uh, connected with my church, realizing at 15, I had 16, I had made such a mess of my life by going my own way. Nothing was working for me. Literally nothing. Everything I thought that had value, I'll, I'll give you one example, getting a varsity letter in a sport as a sophomore in high school was one of my goals. Big, big, very important to me. And I got it and it meant nothing. It changed nothing about my life. I thought it was very important. Anyway, 15, 16, I believed in Jesus because I'd heard the gospel and I thought, I've made such a mess of my life. 
I am going in all the wrong directions. Nothing is working. God, if you are real and I trust you, I don't know what else to do. I'm giving you my life. There you go. And ever since then, it's been a crazy ride, a great crazy ride. So I would love to tell you it's all intellectual. As I said, I studied. I was 16. I believed in Jesus because I had no other options. And the passage in Scripture that means the most to me is in John 6, where Jesus starts teaching these hard things, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And his followers were defecting like crazy. Talk about deconversion. They were like, I think he's the Messiah. Oh, no, not anymore. And they left, and he turns to the 12, and he says, will you leave me also? And Peter, speaking for all of them, says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I believe Jesus because he has the words of eternal life, and I have no place else to go. If Christianity isn't true, there is not another faith I would be in. I would be an atheist, and I don't have any other place to go. So that passage is a lot to me because I know when I read that, I think, I'm with you, disciples. I don't like some of this stuff. I'm uncomfortable with Jesus in a lot of ways, but I got no place else to go. So that's why I believe. Yeah, I mean, I also would like to say, just rationally, logically, I just came to these conclusions. But to be fair to my previous point, um, yeah, I, I, if the, the biggest reason, because of God's grace, I had parents and I grew up in a church that taught me Jesus. Like, that's, that's why. And, of course, there's intellectual things. And, you know, since then, I've spent a lot of time studying, went to school for it. Like, I think that there's, I think it's true, not just because I, you know, grew up in it or whatever. But that, that's what got me introduced to it. Um, and of course there are, but it's all anecdotal. I mean, there are things that have happened in my life that I'm like, maybe there's a lot of coincidences and maybe it is, but it seems like God's been really faithful. Um, but it just, it makes me think of because I was shared the gospel and experienced it. It makes me think of, if you were here last week, Sam, who we sent out joining the International Mission Board, moving to South Asia for two years, going to a really hard and unreached people group that they can't say publicly because um, it could lead to a lot of trouble for them. Like he's going to share so that people actually have the opportunity and the experience to do it. And so um, I want to say it's all rational, and I think that's followed, but I, I was exposed to it, and I experienced it. And uh, I think that's why, going to those previous questions, loving people well, allowing them to experience it, because um, uh, where else would we go? Like, either Jesus, or for me, it would be nothing, but... Um, yeah, Jesus is pretty great, so. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll answer this as well, just because I used to be an atheist. Um, so I was an atheist for a whole host of reasons. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. Um, but one of the primary reasons I was an atheist is because my friends were, you know. Um, so my friends didn't believe in God. That made sense to me. I thought that Christians were just a lot of really hopeful people um, and that they were stupid. Um, and so, um, but Jesus, yeah, God encountered me, um, and I and I trusted in God, and, and really before that. So like for a long time, I tried to live my life in a way that pleased other people. I wanted to make things easier for people I knew who had suffered. Um, and so I just kind of lived for other people. Like what did other people expect from me? I would give that to them. Um, and then when I was graduating high school, because I was so reflective and wise graduating high school, um, I was like, what is up with my life? And so I kind of looked around and in my kind of like arrogance, I was like, well, I'm doing a lot for other people. And like, no one's really doing anything for me. Um, so I'm going to try to do that. Like I'm going to do me. Like, I'm going to live for me. And so for the summer in between high school and college, I lived like that. I did whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it. And I thought that would make me happy because living for others didn't make me happy. But then when I was living for myself, that really didn't make me happy. I lost friends. Um, no one wanted to be around me because I was selfish and did a lot of really terrible things. Um, and that's when I, I met God. And for me, now that 
like becoming a Christian in a lot of ways was harder, right? I had to say no to a lot of things. I had to change my life. I had to commit to something. Um, but it feels freer and it feels like it feels real. And so, but I have definitely had moments like what Dave is saying after becoming a Christian, um, where I was like, do I really want to believe this? Like I've had doubts, but it came back to exactly what you said, Dave, like, where else would I go? Like I tried the other things and that didn't work. Um, and I have found, um, God to show up for me. I have found that when I follow, um, his word, like it, it's wise, and so it has, that has proven faithful to me as well. And so that's why I personally believe the gospel. And when I struggle, I turn back to that. Where, where else would I go? Uh, yeah, and real quick, too, this isn't just about emotion. I love the ob- objectivity of Jesus and Christianity. I mean, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if this isn't true, we are to be pitied more than among anyone else. Peter talks about it. Even in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about it. Like, this either happened or it didn't. And the fact that, again, we can't prove it, but all the disciples were killed. For what? For not just for following Jesus, but for claiming that he was the Messiah and that they saw him rise from the dead. So that unlike today, where you and I might be killed, people in the world, across the world are killed for following Jesus for a belief, they weren't just killed for a belief, they were all killed for claiming that they witnessed something. And so the, <laughs> that's unique to Christianity for sure. Next question, we'll do a couple of more. <clears throat> Unless you want to stay, you just want to fireworks till the fireworks? You just want to do this all day? <laughs> do the next one. What's a good way to start devotions and keep up with it? Uh, so I'm really big on habits, uh, if you can tell, if you know me, uh, and productivity and focus. One of my ba- favorite, best books I've ever read is The Atom- Atomic Habits by James Clear. James Clear is not a Christian. It's not a Christian book, but it's all about habits. And you should get like affiliate commission oh, I for should. that book. <laughs> Atomic Habits. It, this is the reason I floss every night, by the way. This book got me to floss. Every night, I do it. I do it. And the dentist says my teeth are great. It makes a difference. I haven't got a cavity since. All right. Um, so much of what we do is, is based on habit. And so if you look at some of the most productive and disciplined people in your world and in, in your life, you might assume that they're really disciplined, but they're not. They have really good habits, so they don't think about They just do. The problem is Bible reading plans. For example, I say this every January. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year because you want to read the Bible more. That's a terrible idea. I would not recommend it. But to read the Bible in a year, you've got to read it every day for 15 minutes. If you're struggling to read it twice a week for five minutes, you're just, that's good luck. What you need to do is you need to make it easy, you need to make it repeatable, and you need to make it not feel like work. So what I would recommend, if you want to, for example, do five days a week of Bible reading, what I would do is the night before, I would open up my Bible. I would put it on my desk, the kitchen table, wherever I'm going to go, and I'm going to read one chapter. In the morning, I wake up. I don't have to do anything. It's there. It takes me five minutes. Um, Make it not feel like work. In the book, he talks about doing things that take less than two minutes because it's just about getting in the habit. What you'll find is this, you start doing it, well, it's like, well, I'm already here. The Bible's already here. Maybe, maybe not even chapter, maybe just five verses. Maybe I'll read 10, and you get used to it. And so not viewing it as a checklist, but you have to create the habit. And that might sound unspiritual, but it's just how we're made. And so I would not start something that's unsustainable. This is why New Year's resolutions don't work, because we have these lofty goals that we don't have the habits to emulate. So I would recommend, hey, maybe five days a week. It's okay that it's not seven. Come to church on Sunday. There you got six out of seven, Right. Say, I'm going to read a chapter, I'm going to open it up, I'm going to put it right the first place I'm going to go in the morning, and I'm going to read it, it's going to take less than five minutes. That's what I would do. Now, maybe it's fasting or prayer, maybe make a prayer list of like 10 things you want to pray for, maybe 20 seconds each until your mind wanders. If you make it 20 seconds, that's fine. 20 seconds is better than zero, right? Just make it super easy so that when the day comes, you don't have to think about it. I would just start extremely small and not feel bad or guilty because small is better than nothing. 
Yeah, that's good. Another thing I would add to that is just, I, I think, you know, devotionals can be easier than reading the Bible, but I would just urge you, I think it's so important to actually read the Bible. Um, and commentaries are helpful too, but like, if you've never actually read your way through the entire Bible, like by yourself, like I would encourage you to do that. I think it's so important. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You can read the Bible and understand it. You you are capable of this. The Holy Spirit is in you. Um, and so I, I think, and then maybe another habits thing to go along with that is replace something else that you're doing, right? We all say we don't have time, but you guys all have Netflix accounts and Instagram accounts. Um, so you do have time to read your Bible, actually. Um, well, I don't know about this guy, but oh. <laughs> the rest of us. He has Facebook or something. Now, you do have Instagram, Dave. I see you post. <laughs> He's cool. Um, so It's actually way, way worse than that for me, so keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, so maybe you delete Instagram off your phone at night before you go to bed and don't re-download it in the morning until you read your Bible. Maybe you don't turn on your TV until you've read your Bible, but replace something else that you're doing because you do have time to read God's Word. You just got to make it important to you. Priorities. Yeah, so last thing really quickly, um, I, super practical if you're like, well, what should I do? I would get a study Bible. In fact, I, have an, I literally have an extra study Bible at my house that somebody gave me that just sits there. If you do not have a study Bible, seriously, I will give it to you. Come talk to me. I would say a chapter a day, read that, read the notes at the bottom of it, because it's confusing. Like, it's a different culture. It's okay not to know everything. And just do that and make it super easy. That might be what I would do. Let's do two more. We'll do two more. So, Brian, you can take a second. I don't know what you want to pick, but we'll do two more. He says one second. Right. So. Well, I, I use that study Bible to post up my ring light, though, when I'm doing Instagram stories. <laughs> so. <laughs> For her job. Okay, she's not that vain. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> All right. How should you align politically if you want to be aligned biblically? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm just trying to think what that means. Um, listen, I, I, following Jesus, our experiences and our backgrounds color what we think. I mean, that just it's just true. And so it's helpful to remember that as you come across people you disagree with. The reality is, if you were them, grew up the way they grew up with their influences it's a high probability you would believe exactly what they believe. So let's not assume that we're just like super enlightened. Um, it's, a, it's all I have to say, it's okay to disagree. Um, I, I'm not gonna say how you should. There are, there are certain values that are important to you because of your background that are gonna be different than other people because of their background. So like, the example, poverty and homelessness and mass incarceration is going to affect people that have been impacted by it more than someone like me. I've got no one in my close family that's ever been in jail. I've never had a, our family has been, never had a problem financially. So I think those are important, but the, it, so the, all these things matter. So I think it's important to say, hey, for whatever reason, you have your convictions. Um, it, it's okay that people differ from them. I think we should allow scripture to challenge us because it would challenge all of us. If God happens to agree with all of your politicians, then it's not God who's agreeing with them, it's you. Um, and so I think, <laughs> I think it's totally fine to have convictions. And I think we should allow the Bible to challenge our convictions that are incorrect. And here's the thing. We have a, a, an imperfect system. And I think it's, I think it's a good thing to vote. Um, and so you're going to be voting for people who do not fully align. But th my hesitancy is like, you know, becoming, you know, there's one issue that's really important to you. And another party, they don't, that, that issue, they're, they're anti that one issue. To say, well, to vote for that party because they don't, is just wrong. Because there are some things about that party that are actually biblical values, whether or not they're Christian informed, they're just like loving people, whatever, 
there, there's, there's going to be all over the place. And so um, I think you should have your convictions, but that's why we need grace. Um, I want us to be a church of Trump supporters and Biden supporters and third-party supporters and people who do not care. Like that's, this is because we found Jesus who's united us over all these things. And so I don't know if that's helpful at all, because that's a lot to answer. I'll just, that's enough for me. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I just agree. Faithful Christians can disagree. And also the thing about this Q&A panel is like, yeah, we just have a moment to answer it. And so um, just kind of like a friendly reminder that like, if you want to talk further about this, yep. I would love to invite you into my living room and like, I'd hear your story. Like, I'm not going to just throw my opinion down you. Um, I would love to hear your story. I would love to ask questions of why you're passionate about whatever you're passionate about. Um, these, these conversations do really well in living rooms. I would just say find issues uh, and figure out what scripture teaches about that issue and align there. And that probably won't line you up very well anywhere. You, you may feel like a man or a woman with no country, um, and that is okay. Because my first allegiance is to the kingdom of God, and so that sometimes leaves me out of touch or disconnected from certain political groups or parties or emphasis. So I would say, find the issue. What does the scripture teach me on that issue? Where do I line up there? And when a party aligns with me, great. And when they don't, frustrating, but yeah. the way it is. Yeah, it's hard. Um, but I think this is why we need grace and compassion. Maybe to make this really practically, if, if you haven't made, offended you, maybe here's the chance. There are faithful biblical reasons. Let's just talk about this last election. Faithful biblical good reasons to vote for Biden. Faithful biblical good reasons to vote for Trump. There, there were. And so... Um, I think we've got to be okay with, to say things like, Jesus, if you're, you can't be a Christian and vote for X, I think is short-sighted uh, to what's happening. And maybe you want to be third party or no, not at all, but to just blanket statements I don't think are really helpful, especially because we don't know people's heart. So again, if you have questions about that, Dave would love to talk to you. Last but not least, we'll end with this question. <clears throat> what is New City's mission and vision for the next year? <laughs> um, you know... Our mission at New City Church is to help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. Uh, if I could be totally honest with you, 2020 was, it was hard, obviously. I, I was really grateful uh, as I talked to a lot of pastor friends. You know, we didn't have a lot of the church splits. I mean, obviously, we have dif different, differing opinions about COVID and racial injustice and politics. But the fact that people came up to me or emailed me and said, hey, I know, for example, COVID's a de decisive issue. Whatever the church decides to do, we're going to support you. Um, I, was, I was just, I just felt very very fortunate, very grateful for New City this past year. Um, it was, it was anxiety-ridden, right, because we moved into this building the week before COVID hit. Um, our rent went up two and a half times, and so wondering, you know, how are we going to, what are we going to do? Do I have to get another job? Like, is this going to, like, shut down? Like, what do we do? It was hard. God was faithful. Talk about why we believe the gospel. Um, and so all that to say, I'm really grateful that we made it through. Um, i I mean, I would love for us to, now that we have the space, now that COVID is kind of moving on, I know traditionally for us, May to mid-July is our lowest attended time, but we would love, now that we have the space, now that people are healthy, they're comfortable being around each other, to help people meet Jesus and grow a relationship with him. Like, I, I, wanna, I want us to grow. I would love for us to be back at two services before the end of the year. Um, we want to continue to plant churches. You know, we planted Citizens Church earlier this year. We sent out um, Adam. We don't currently have another church planter at New City, but we're talking to some other churches about supporting some church plants that even though they're not coming out of New City, we're going to have the pastors come and preach here because we want to keep it in front of the mission of helping people meet Jesus and grow a relationship with them. But I would like us, we have the capacity to grow and to love people well, to continue to pray for it. We're so fortunate that we have so many great 
Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in Raleigh, a lot of great friends there. And so I would, I would love us right now, my biggest thing is to reach and engage more people because I think, I mean, people love, are loved really well here, they're cared for really well here, and, uh, you know, Jesus is present here. And so I would love for us to continue to live out that mission and to engage more people now that we're coming out of COVID. Yeah, invite your friends to New City. There you go. And subscribe on YouTube. <laughs> for all of you watching right now, hit that subscribe button, like, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down, it's down below the description. Um, or, you know, after you're done with this, just go to YouTube, New City RDU, hit that, hit that subscribe button. Um, but I'll let us say, hey, thanks for joining with us today. Dave, would you pray for us as we close? Sure. Father, thank you for uh, a time to be together as a family, to talk through issues, to answer questions that hopefully are pressing on people's minds and hearts and lives. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, what we have said uh, would be a blessing and encouragement to people. I pray that they would hear your voice in the midst of that, whether they agree or disagree, that they would hear you. Lord, I pray that we would all be more committed to the scripture and what you have left for us to teach us, to guide us, to provide for us, to give us what we need in this day and age. Uh, Lord, we trust you. And as leaders, we honor you. And Lord, we ask that you would be using us as a group of people to love our neighbors well to honor you with our, our lives, to give our hearts, souls, and minds to you first, and to be the kind of people who uh, make a difference in our community by loving our neighbors well. Uh, Lord, we want to be people like that, and we want that uh, our church to reflect that. We want this morning to reflect that. So, Lord, use your, your scripture. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and minds and guide us to where you would have us to go. We love you, Lord. We are so grateful for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.